What is going on, guys? We are in the zone, episode 127 today. We're going to start this one off. Um, not not the greatest uh, performances the last couple games for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're taking on a team that absolutely got decimated with COVID-19 in Vancouver. It's uh, It's very welcoming to see all of them, or at least the majority of them, make a pretty quick recovery. I know that they had it pretty bad, but guys, the Leafs. They've lost the last two games to Vancouver after um, they've been off for a while. I remember I saw the other night, Bull Horvat, he looked exhausted after getting the game winner. Their, their conditioning obviously has taken a hit the last couple weeks. But my biggest question here is the Leafs' performance. Um, what are your guys' initial thoughts on the way Jack Campbell has played uh, ever since taking the realm as a starting goalie? And, if you're the Leafs after acquiring, you know, all these big names, losing to a team that hasn't played in two and a half weeks, should we be a little bit more concerned with this Leafs team? Uh, I'm going to go with no, just because when I look at the season as a whole of how well they played, uh, I don't think this little stretch is going to really make people change their minds long term about this team. Oh, same with Alino before you joined the Xbox Live party here. That uh, we, we lost five in a row, and we're still like four or five points up on the second-place team. That just really shows like how crazy of a year the Leafs have had. But uh, since Campbell took over, like he's been solid all year. I don't, I don't know what's kind of been happening the last couple of weeks, but they've been, they've been rolling with him as their starter. The guy's a fan favorite. I think just throughout the NHL, everyone loves Jack Campbell and his story about how um, he was sent to the A, he was a top pick, and then sent to the AHL, and then all the things he went through, and now he's finally made it. So I'm proud of Jack Campbell. Hasn't been well the last week, but I think everyone's going to give him a pass just because he started off 10-0. and so. <laughs> uh, But I wouldn't think too much into it, boys. We're still first in the, first in the North Division, a few points up on the Jets or Oilers. So it's, it's looking all right still. I think it's just something where, uh, you know, Vancouver, they had some time off. They come back, they're rested. They've uh, actually had some time to maybe look at their games closely, the coaching staff and the players, and they come back and beat the Leafs. The Leafs, they got caught off there on a bad night. Just unlucky. Like, you see Holtby saved there when he had stacked the pads up, and he just got his, uh, his pad on that one puck there after it came up off the rebound, deflection, and... It was just, you can tell it's going to be that night. Vancouver get the win after that, and then they win yesterday against the Leafs. It just seems like the Leafs just didn't have the luck, I think. They'll rebound from this, but it's going to be something where Jack Campbell shouldn't get blamed. Poor guy. He went on an 11-0. and Everyone is singing his praises and saying he's going to be the next coming of Johnny Bauer over here winning cups, but... Once you uh, play a few more games, get the mix of things. I think I feel bad for David Riddich. He comes in a situation and they go on a losing streak, but I think the Leafs will be okay. Yeah, what do you, what do you think this means for a team like Vancouver? Because we were talking about the points and, and how close it is, the gap with Montreal, Calgary, Vancouver, even Ottawa. They're only about two, two or three wins behind Montreal. Out of all four of those teams, guys, can you see – because uh, we saw last year Vancouver, this was this is not the same Vancouver team. Last year, you know they they had Markstrom, they had Tanev, they have they had a little bit more help defensively. And Quinn Hughes, by he he hasn't had that great of a year this year. He's about a minus 
I want to say like 17. Uh, he's got to be a little better defensively. We all know how great offensively Quinn Hughes is. But um, in terms of Vancouver and what we saw last year, do you still have them being the favorite over Calgary and Montreal to make that fourth spot? If um, if everything comes together, then yeah. Because like we were saying the same thing going into the year. Uh, I've been saying it all year. I'm like, you switch Montreal and Vancouver, and this is exactly how I have the standings. So uh, the guys have been playing all year. It wasn't just until recently their team got rocked with COVID. So the, all the talent's there with Vancouver. If everyone comes back and they were playing similar to how they did last year, they can absolutely take that fourth spot. I didn't think it was as close as it actually is. I thought the Habs and Flames had more ground on the Canucks and Senators. But, yeah, all those four teams, like, they're – they're basically tied. So if one of them gets hot here, I wouldn't be surprised who makes it. Yeah, for sure. I thought Vancouver, like coming into this team, that's a playoff team. Like you look at the star power they have with Patterson, Besser, and like their defense is pretty stable. Myers there, Quinn Hughes is unbelievable. And then in goalies, they have uh, like you have Holtby coming in as a Stanley Cup winner, Demko. So this team should be a playoff team. So it's good to see them finally starting to get things going. But like, you look at everyone else, like Montreal, without Price and Weber, that's on a playoff team. So Vancouver should be coming up here, taking their spot. This is a great opportunity for them. Maybe they can squeak in. Um, but, yeah, that's a playoff team that is finally looking like they could live up to expectations. I mean, that would be awesome if you see the way that the kind of – the story for for Vancouver has kind of shifted, at least in my eyes. When when the year first started, I really was high on Vancouver. And I was even telling Steve in the summer last year when they beat St. Louis, I said, you know what? Like They've been patient for, I want to say, five, six years. They, they went through the rebuild the right way. They drafted Horvat. They drafted Besser. They drafted Pedersen. You know, they went through it the right way. And then last year, you know, they got their rewards. They beat out the, the Stanley Cup champions. Markstrom was red hot. Or sorry, uh... Yeah, Markstrom was red hot for them last year, and they even have Demko this year, who at times he's looked like as a, he's looked at as a top ten goalie at times. So uh, I, I actually think Vancouver could easily pass Calgary and Montreal, but you never really know with the way that Carey Price can end up playing. And again, uh, former Vancouver Canuck Jakob Markstrom. So I think it's going to be fun regardless. I think most of us anticipate that Ottawa will not be the team that goes in, but I really do want to see the battle between Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal down the stretch. I think that's going to be a treat, and I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to come down, I think, to Demko, Markstrom, and Price, see who see who pulls through the, the best. But uh, moving on, we got to quickly talk about some big-time injuries. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray last week, they got injured, and uh, they were really, it's pretty funny because they're best friends. We all know um, how close they are after last year's playoff uh, playoff performances, both dropping 50 points numerous times. They now have added themselves to that Mount Rushmore with MJ. And I think it's LeBron to put up fit more than a couple games in 50s. So what are your guys' thoughts on both those injuries? And uh, who do you think is uh, more impacted by this on the team scale? Oh, uh, for me, Utah's more impact just because with um... – with Denver, it's Jokic and Murray. And as great as Jamal Murray is, your uh, Jokic is your number one. And he's the guy bringing the ball uh, up the court every single shift. So as great as Murray is, and he takes over at times, when you look at Utah and everything that Donovan Mitchell does, like I don't think anyone can really replace what he brings to that team. 
especially the year that they're having. Because like, I don't Rudy Gobert. Everyone knows what he does. Unless guys like Mike Conley turn back the clock and Ingles and Clarkson, Bogdanovich, all these guys are going to have to step up as a unit because no one man's going to replace Mitchell. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go Murray just because like what you said there, like I think Utah has guys that can step up and be a difference maker. Like Mike Conley, I think could be a playmaker more. You know what Gobert can do with Denver, like Jokic and Jamal Murray really carry that team. And we saw what Murray did in the playoff run last year. So if he could uh, come back maybe in time for a playoff round, that could be a game changer. Uh, Poor guy here looking at him getting injured. That sucks. He's our Canadian guy. I thought Denver, they're a team that could be a dark horse, and you need both of them to be that dark horse. So I'm still going to be a little optimistic there. If he comes back, I think Denver have a great chance. But if not, Jokic is going to be, I think, relied on too much, and I don't think you'll have the supporting cast to help him out. Like Even though they have Aaron Gordon, I don't think that'll be enough. I like that a lot. I really think that Mitchell... Um, Mitchell and Murray, they bring a lot of value to their teams. We saw it last year. Nikola Jokic, though, I think he, he's just having a different type of year. You don't see bigs kind of have years like this. Uh, even when Dirk won the MVP, I don't even think it was as impactful as Jokic this year. So um, it's great to see Jokic step up the le- to the level of MVP that he has this year. Jamal Murray, even in the playoffs, we all were saying that this guy, this is the story of the year. You know, coming into the bubble and just carrying Denver all the way to the conference finals. Coming up short, obviously, against LeBron James, but it's LeBron James and it's the playoffs. So <laughs> good luck with that. But yeah, seeing Jamal Murray go down with an ACL, a, a torn ACL, these injuries are there. They happen way too often. I'm starting to notice that. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the, you know, very limited amount of time they've had off. This year, in the past year, I don't know if the, it's if it's that because Van Fleet is kind of he's voiced that this year is kind of a it's not what did he say he didn't say it was unprofessional he just said it was kind of like they rushed into it they didn't really think about the consequences with the players so seeing guys like LeBron Davis Murray Mitchell all go down with these big time injuries even we've been we talked about it I think two weeks ago with KD Harden and Kyrie consistently missing time. This year, it is kind of different, but now you're looking at a torn ACL for a team that we believe could, like like you guys said with Utah, like you guys have said with Denver, being dark horses and going to the finals. I mean, Jamal Murray, we saw last year the ability he had. It's just really unfortunate to see a guy like him, the amount of work he puts in night in and night out, go down with a torn ACL. But then you look at Donovan Mitchell, who has been getting all the praise in the world. They're saying this guy is... One of the top guys under 25 in the NBA, they're saying I think he's like fifth. Um, This year, they almost have him as a top 10 player as well, and it makes sense. Utah's in first place. He's the best player on the best team in the West. But, man, this injury is going to sting Utah, I think. I mean, Rudy Gobert has had an elite defensive season, as he does every year, but Joe Ingles is going to have to step up. Guys like, you know, Conley are going to have to start going and dropping 20 a game if they really want to be – if they want to stay in that first spot and be a consistent threat. So with this being said, I think both these injuries hurt these dark horses tremendously. So if I'm the Clippers in this situation (laughs) behind the glass, I'm all smiles, (laughs) but in a bad way. When, um, if you look at, um, you saw Jamal Murray kind of like 
broke through that glass ceiling last year. Do you think this is a chance for Michael Porter Jr. to do the same? Because for me, um, out of like him, Gordon, and Will Barton, MPJ can be the guy that like gets a lot more of the responsibility offensively. So can he do what Murray did last year, or is that a bit of a stretch? Oh, um, I want to say, yeah, out of all the three guys you've mentioned there, MPJ is the guy I think that he, I think he, he gets the ball the most when he walks. So I know Will Barton has been a big part of their offense for years, but I think Will Barton is starting to realize that he wants to be the leader there. He wants to be in a leadership role. He already is, but he wants to limit his shots. Uh, he wants to be a little more efficient. MPJ is in a spot where this is what his second full season in the league, um, basically his third year in the show, but second full year. I think he's starting to realize that now with Murray down, um, guys like Aaron Gordon, who they're they're very limited when it comes to uh, position. I mean, Aaron Gordon, they've said he can play the three, but I really don't see that too often. So you could have Porter Jr. play three positions, arguably, just the way he shoots the three. You could put him at the two if you really want to go uh, with uh, – with a bigger lineup, you could put him at the three, you could put him at the four. So I don't think he's going to go off like Jamal Murray, but I do think that for Denver's playoff chances and for their chances to get a title, I think MPJ has to start kind of playing like the player comparable that he was supposed to be, and that was supposed to be Paul George. So if you can get anything like that out of MPJ, then Denver is still a very dangerous team in the West. Yeah, I can see that, but like if Aaron Gordon like doesn't shoot the three as good as let's say a Michael Porter Jr., it might not be the best of fits right now because then you're limited at your depth positions. Like Will Barton, he's gonna come in, he's gonna get his touches, but then who's else, who else is gonna be that guy off the bench for them? That's gonna be a problem. Like right now with Murray, it balances everything out. You know who the shooter is, you know who the ball handler is. And you know who's going to get the plays running in through the post. So I think right now they're in a, a little bit of a bind, their coaching staff. But if they can uh, manage at least for the first round and get comfortable, they might be able to go to a conference final. But right now, I don't see it with Murray out. Yeah, it's just tough, man. Like They're in fourth, and you don't know where they can finish because the, the West is looking pretty open. I mean, we we were just talking about it before. Like you have San Antonio, who's been in it all year. They're now out of it. Golden State, with the way Curry's playing, uh, he's he's really trying to make this team make the playoffs. They're literally, I think they're they're a game behind Memphis. Uh, Memphis is a team where I thought Jaron Jackson was going to come back in February, and this guy just hasn't played all year. They're taking the the safe approach with him. He's only twenty one years old, so you got to ease him back into the lineup. Valachunas as well, just going down with that concussion. So it's tough with Memphis. I don't see them making the playoffs. But in terms of Denver and teams like Utah, can you really see Denver taking a plummet kind of like the way the Lakers have without LeBron and AD? Or do you think this team is a little bit better um, as an overall unit? As an overall unit, I think they're better than the Lakers without the two that they have now. I just think you said it before with Jokic, he's just on, he's in a different world right now. 
he's top three right now for MVP voting. Um, for the regular season, guys like Gordon and Barton and MPJ and the guys we've mentioned, like I think they're a lot better than the guys that the Lakers have in their depth chart. So I still think they'll stick in that spot for pretty much most of the year. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't know. It's going to be tough because right now there's so much shuffling with the standings and the teams that started off so well are now like coming down to earth. And then some of the teams that were struggling, they're finding themselves outside, maybe in the ninth and 10th spot. So it's all going to depend on how that play in tournament, like everyone does in that, how some of these teams finish the year with dealing with injuries and load management. So the Western standings, like going into the playoff rounds, might look a lot different than what it is right now, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome to see, um, you know, what 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 happens here uh, with the Lakers. You know, you really don't know what to expect on a nightly basis from guys like Kuzma and Horton Tucker and Schroeder. Um, even with I'm looking at Denver's lineup, like Will Barton, you know, he can probably drop 14 a game. You have, you know, MPJ when his confidence is up. He's kind of like a Powell to me this year. Like, you really don't know if he could drop 14 or all the way up to, like, 30. So, even when you look at Utah, Gobert, Ingles, Conley, uh, they have a couple. I think Royce O'Neal is still there, and he's playing meaningful minutes. So, I think with Denver and with Utah and the injuries that have occurred, I still think that they're a very, very scary team. But if you're a team like the Clippers and the Suns and the way they've just been rolling all year. I know a lot of guys, they don't really take Phoenix as a really, really serious threat because they're still relatively young. But when you have a leader in Chris Paul and you have a great scorer in, in Devin Booker, I I still think, man, like call me crazy. I've been saying the Lakers for a year, for a whole year now to come in and to win uh, and go to the finals. But I wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix kind of pulled that Denver type story from last year and they and they kind of went maybe not to the finals but to the conference finals. So I guess this is where I'll kind of lead on to with these two guys going down and with Phoenix being so so healthy for most of the year. What is the absolute ceiling realistically for this Phoenix Suns team? Just for this year? Yeah. I'll say second round. I feel like Phoenix is going to get, they'll be one of those teams that just get shafted because they're second place right now. They could play the fucking Lakers in the first round and the Lakers might get LeBron and Davis back. Like this is a fucked up year, isn't it? Because Chris Paul has done so much for that Phoenix roster. Devin Booker's 25 like he always does. Aiton's been... He's progressively been getting better throughout the year. I don't think he's been amazing, but he's been solid. Saric has been good. Um, Bridges has been like they, a lot of good players over there, but the experience is not there with most of those guys. If they run into a team like Portland or L.A., I could see Phoenix going out first round. Yeah, I can see that too. Unfortunately, I think this is a ceiling because <laughs> – like, Chris Paul is good. Like, he really has helped Phoenix a lot. Like, Aiden's still developing. Booker is becoming that elite, like, MVP caliber guy. But I just think they're missing something. And if you're going to play a team like the Lakers, where they're a little bit better 
in terms of balance with LeBron AD and then their depth players. And then if you go even match up with a team that comes up like a Dallas, I think you're still screwed either way. So in a playoff round this year, I'll say that they'll probably be out uh, first round. Uh, probably if they play Dallas, I see Dallas beating them in five or six. And then once they see in the offseason some players that they can bring in and uh, come help them and find out where some of their players, their strengths and weaknesses are playing around shooting and then rebounding, maybe that helps them next year. But, yeah, for this year, I think it's a first-round exit. I mean, is it safe to say that Phoenix is kind of looked at as Utah from last year? Like, they're at the top of the standings, but no one really has faith in them to beat out the teams that have the more experience in in, in Portland and in, in L.A. and all those teams there. Do you, do you guys really see, like, is it really so far-fetched to see Phoenix have any sort of success? Because I feel like I haven't seen it in, well, I haven't seen it in 15 years. So do you guys really think Chris Paul could be that guy to – to lead them past the Clippers team, or you guys just don't you guys just don't see it at all. I mean, he should be that guy, but um, I just when I look at the other teams, they're just so loaded. And when I look at Phoenix, as as far as they've come since the bubble last year, it's that experience level is not there like on some of the other teams. And um, Devin Booker still hasn't seen any playoff basketball his first six years of his career. So I love what they're doing, though. Like, they deserve all the credit in the world. They went undefeated in the bubble. That was with Rubio instead of Paul. So, and then ever since Paul came over, and they basically just picked up where they left off. But for this year, man, yeah. Like, I could see them getting bounced in the first round, and it won't be their fault. Yeah, I'm with you there. Like, I think... It's just, uh, I think it's a team actually, like a comparison would be that Denver Nuggets team from a couple of years ago. They'll be third, fourth, second even, but they're not going to be Houston with Paul and Harden. They're not going to be OKC with uh, Westbrook and insert like whatever name he was playing with at the time. They're not going to beat the Clippers. Like, I think it's like one of those things where like they're going to be a top seed. It's just when it comes down to playoffs, the matchup is going to dictate how far they go. So this year, Unfortunately for them, the matchup is Dallas right now. So Doncic, uh, like that is not the kind of player you want to play in the first round. I think the way he's been playing, uh, Porzingis, if he gets like it going there and shows that he can still be that impact player in the playoffs, I think that it's going to be quick work for them. What do you guys think DeAndre Aiden has to become for this team to be, you know, a lot, a, a lot taken a lot more seriously because I've been looking at Aiton's stats and it's actually taken a drop off. Obviously, when you when you acquire a guy like Chris Paul, um, the points are obviously going to go down. But he knows what his role is. That's to be in the paint, to be the dominant center. But in terms of what you guys have seen the first three years of DeAndre Aiden in this league, going first overall, of course he went before. Trey Young and Luka Doncic. You know, you scratch your head now when you look back at it. It was a need that they needed. They took DeAndre Aiden. What do you guys think DeAndre Aiden has to do as a player to make Phoenix believable as contenders in the West? Become Shaq. (laughs) Oh, God. I just think he's got to stick to the pace, though. Because I think the only thing you can really say about Aiden is when he starts taking distance threes. Because, you know, 
the type of player he is. He's he's been averaging a double double first three years. He's a fucking man child. We said it when he came into the league. We're like, this guy does not look nineteen. He looks like he's turning thirty years old next month, and he's huge and he just packs his guys in. So he's good for fifteen and ten most games. The stats are there, but I just think time will tell with Aiton, and it, he's been pretty solid so far his first three years. Yeah, he's been solid. I think he needs to be more of a bully in the paint. I don't want to see him shoot threes at all. Uh, keep that for Booker. Let him shoot the threes. Like, if I see Aiden go and shoot a three, like he shouldn't be the one going and calling for the ball outside the paint. That's not his role. The coach should be more, uh, I guess, vocal and say, you know what, stand right near the basket. That's where I want you to play. That's where you're going to get the most points. That's where you're going to get all the rebounds off uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul's missed shots. And that's where you need to impose your will. Kind of like what Embiid did before he started taking threes. Like, I don't know why all these bigs want to take threes. It doesn't do anything for their career. It just makes them look like a more appealing player for the fans. But if you want to win, just be the center that dominates. Kind of like what Shaq was. And get your points rebounding and uh, second chance opportunities. What do you think the expectations are in a year's time for a guy like Devin Booker? When you look at what he's done for this franchise and where it's kind of, I know for the first four or five years, they were always around 13th in the West. They were not even close to making the playoffs. And now they're here in second place with a guy like Chris Paul. Do you guys really see a guy like Devin Booker leaving Phoenix before per se, a guy like a Bradley Beal in Washington or what are your guys, uh, what are your guys beliefs on that? Um, I feel like if they don't start seeing some success throughout the, his duration of his contract, then uh, maybe he could be on the way out. Because he's, what is he, his sixth year in the league now, all with Phoenix. I've made the playoffs once. He's averaged 20 points pretty much. I don't think his first year, but every other year in the league, he's like 24, 25. I could see him leaving. I mean, when you look around the league, there are very, very few players you can count them on one hand that, that stay with the whole team for at least 10-plus years, not even their entire career. So if I'm going by history and I'm going by their success as a team, like Devin Booker is going to leave. Yeah, I think the reason why they got Chris Paul was just to keep him happy, I guess, because all the rumors, remember, he's going to go to the Lakers, he's going to go elsewhere, he's going to get traded. I think this was a way to keep him there. So if they don't have success, I think, yeah, he's going to get traded or depending on what happens first, his contract running out. But I think that would be a guy you have to trade if you're Phoenix before losing it for nothing. You can't risk that. And maybe if they, I guess if Chris Paul doesn't work out after this year, they can always go around and make another big trade because their GM actually showed that he's willing to do that. So that's one positive. It's just if it doesn't work out, you're going to have to make another big move and probably Booker would be included in that. I like that. Uh, I'll quickly go to the East quick and then we'll move on to the ring. But I want to start this off. It was very, very hard to really talk. Well, like, I'm, I'm going through this right now. And you look at where the Raptors are. They're in 12th place. They're in the last playing round spot here. Um, they've won three in a row. <laughs> These guys, um, I don't know. I feel like he's this guy, OG. I've been watching this guy the last couple games, and a lot of people were talking about Powell for the longest time, but now that it's kind of shifted to a team without Norman Powell 
and we saw what Gary Trent can do. I'm starting to look at OG and his last couple of games. He's just been he's consistently been getting around 15 to 16 every single game. So um, is it safe to say that OG has taken a step forward since Norman Powell has left? And with that being said, and the position the Raptors are in, what do you expect from the big three moving forward in Toronto? Um, I guess OG's taken a step just because fuck for like a month, month and a half, Norm was putting up 20 plus points every game. So you got to spread that out somehow. And with all the guys coming back, OG being one of them off the injury list, he's been healthy the last little while. He's been getting his mojo back and, uh, yeah, he's averaging 15 points per game this year, which is pretty solid for the third, fourth option. So solid for OG. For the big three, I assume you mean him, Pascal, and Fred. Yep. So going forward, uh, yeah, like they're all still young. I don't really – I don't think you're going to jump off the ship here. Those are the three guys. They're both signed to five-year deals. That's your core. That's what you got going forward. So I think uh, this team's a little weird because we're in a bit of a transition from winning the title and then second round and then whatever the fuck's happening this year. But maybe a bit of a retool. But with those three and even Gary Trent four, I'm pretty confident for the future. Yeah, they have a nice little core there. Like OG, I think is you can still put up more numbers offensively. Defensively, everyone's seen what he can do. He's just He's a really good defender. And like with Siakam there, if he gets going and Fred Van Vliet gets going and Lowry, you never know with him. Maybe he stays another year. You never know even with the draft. Hopefully they uh, tank a little bit. I don't like how they're winning all of a sudden because I think they're missing out on an opportunity. They can get another like really good player coming in. Then gets you even more cap flexibility at the um, trade deadline to make a trade. And then free agency, you can go nuts. So yeah, they have to... Look at their roster right now. It's more of a retool. I think next year, the way it's going with their players, if they get everyone healthy, they're easily a playoff team. I don't think they're a bottom-feeding team like the Houston Rockets right now. So it's not doom and gloom uh, for Raptors. It's just find the right player at the draft, retool around your big core, and uh, maybe you can make another run. I was going to say, I'm looking at the standings here, and the Knicks are in fifth place, and they're comfortably in a playoff spot. They're, it's safe to say they probably will make it this year. I'm going to say this right now. Out of these two teams, Atlanta, who's in fourth, and the Knicks, who are in fifth, who do you see making the deeper playoff run? Oh, my God. I guess Atlanta. I, I'm still like on the same board with the Knicks. Like, as great as the years they're having, and what fucking Randall's doing is unbelievable, and Barrett's, you know, taking another step. It, it's like, it's I guess it's that Leaf mentality. As good as they're doing, you just expect something to go wrong. I'm still like that with the New York Knicks. And when I look at Atlanta with the shitty start that they had the first couple of months and how they really turned it around, I think I'm on the Atlanta bandwagon between those two teams. Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, I'll still go Atlanta, too, because they've been impressive, actually, like what they're doing this year. It's just, like, I don't know how far they can go, though, in the playoffs, even in the East. Like, you got Brooklyn, got the Bucks, you got the Philly 76ers there. Like, 
they're in tough. I think Miami has a better chance than Atlanta going farther, and they're in seventh. So, like, they're a good team. They're still developing. They're not there yet, but I think they can be like a Denver in a couple of years where a lot of people are going to be talking about them a lot more. I still I mean, think they're both first round, though. Oh yeah, I mean a guy, a guy that we've well, they can't wait. Who Atlanta and the Knicks? They're, yeah, I don't they're facing each other in the first point. round right now. <laughs> is that what it is? Holy shit! Yeah, isn't that's, it one play six though? No, one play. It's seven and tw- seven to twelve in that play-in tournament thing, and then they reseed. So it's kind of like what the NHL did when they had that uh, pre-divisional playoff round, round robin. And then they all come uh, in. It's like the preview kind of thing. Huh. And then they well, reseed. Right <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love this shit for, for the Knicks. Because like, we've been bashing them for so many years. And and Max Kellerman, poor guy. Like Stephen A gets this guy a Randall Knicks jersey. Tapes it on the back. And I guess Randall saw that. And he looked at, looked at his motivation. Because this guy's year... Oh my God! This guy has to probably be in the MVP conversation, man. On it, I know he's not going to win it, but he probably has to get some votes there, man. This guy's carried them all year. He's averaging twenty six, ten and six, and he's he's just dominating, man. Even his his playmaking. I don't know where this came from with Randall. This guy last year or two years ago with the Lakers, he was one of the most selfish players in the league, and now this guy's passing it. You know, I think. A lot of people, you know, we we talk about Kobe's death and a lot of guys took it differently and, you know, they took that, you know, as a little bit more motivation. I think Randall, he's a guy that, you know, playing with Kobe in his rookie year and seeing, you know, what what a, what a, what a big impact Kobe had to everybody around him. I feel like this is where Julius Randall took that, bottled it up and motivated him and it just turned him into a monster. I really hope this is consistent with Randall because – we all know the expectations in New York and at Madison Square Garden is like the expectations at the Bell Center and at the ACC for hockey. So, um, sorry, Scotiabank Arena now. But uh, you 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 talk about you talk about Julius Randle. What a what a year he's had. What a story. Derrick Rose, you know, aligning with Thibodeau. I still think the Knicks can win and beat Atlanta. But when you talk about the next round after that, you have the three headed. You have the three dominant teams in Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee. Good luck, Randall. If yeah, if yeah. if if he can, if Randall could beat out a, a Giannis, <laughs> then then we got then we got to start talking about Julius Randall in a, in another in another type of light. But I love it for the Knicks. I love it for Atlanta. Even a team like Charlotte, who you know you get Lamelo Ball. They've been in and out of the playoffs all year, guys. It's been so weird because. Terry Rozier one game will drop 40. Then Devontae Graham will drop 40. Then P.J. Washington will drop 30. And they just have so many different guys that can put the ball in the hole. And I think that's what makes Charlotte so lethal. They're an eighth team. They're battling it out with Washington, with the Raps, with the Bulls, with the Wizards. But out of all those teams, guys, that I just mentioned, out of those guys that do the play-in rounds, can you see any of them making a huge impact against the Philly, against against the Brooklyn, so like let's say Indiana or Washington were to make it, can you see a guy like a Russ or a guy like a Zabonis give those top teams a hard time, or is it still a wash? It's still a wash, but uh, I think the Pacers will give them their best shot. 
I, regardless of who plays the Philly or Nets, though, like <laughs> them in five. I think the Pacers will give them their best bet. Oh, can you imagine Westbrook, though? This is an opportunity. If he makes the playoffs and goes off, this is his chance to get out of Washington, uh, go to a contender. Everyone will be after him again. Um, I just see, like, even the Knicks, like, wouldn't count on Derek Rose for having a big game here and there. I think that could be a guy to really look at. He could be a game changer if he's on his game, if he's healthy, if he stays, like, I guess load management in terms of how many minutes he plays, that can be someone that can help Randall. But uh, in those play-in round teams, like Charlotte, I think would be the biggest threat if they had LaMelo Ball. Without LaMelo Ball, they don't have that guy to be creative. Uh, Rozier's a shooter. Graham's a shooter. Hayward's a shooter too. So all they're missing is LaMelo Ball, and then they could have really been talked about so right now i'll say washington just because of westbrook and beal i love that uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with indiana i think the bonus and brogdon have been playing on a different level this year they can possibly get tj warren back that's another guy who again he hasn't played all year but with if history has shown anything this guy can ball out and he's dropped 18 the last three years consistently so if you can get a TJ Warren back, you get Brogdon, you have Levert, you have Zabonis. To me, guys, this is not an eighth team, an eighth or a ninth seeded team. This is more like a sixth seeded team. Um, it's kind of funny. You, you think of where Indiana is and where the Knicks are. You kind of swap them, and then that'd be a little bit more accurate. But I really like it with Indiana. I really like it with Washington. Both of your guys' takes were solid. Um, but now we got to move on. We got to go to the ring. Because on April 15th, it was a big, big day for WWE. It was a big day for Vince McMahon. And it was a big day for the company because they ended up releasing quite a bit of talent. And talent that you necessarily don't expect to get released. I will start this one off with the list. So we're going to start this on Mojo Raleigh was the first one to get announced. Kalisto, Tucker, Chelsea Green, Mickey James, Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, so basically the Iconics, Samoa Joe, and Bo Dallas all released on Thursday of last week. What were your guys' thoughts on this when you first saw it? And uh, what do you think is going to happen moving forward with this company without a guy like a Samoa Joe and without a tag team like the Iconics? I think they'll just do what they usually do. This is a... Uh... This is the yearly sweep. We've seen it in the past where they've released like 20 or 30 people at a time. This one was a little, number wasn't as high, so that's good. But I don't think anything changes. I think they got a plan over there. They knew exactly who they were letting go. So when I look at the names on this list, I'm not really, I think other than Joe in the Iconics, I'm not really that surprised. So it sucks to see though. But uh, yeah, this is the process. Yeah, this one was a little odd considering WrestleMania. Like Samoa Joe, poor guys doing commentary in the rain, making everyone like entertained throughout that, wearing a poncho, and uh, they cut him loose. They already announced that they had a new commentary team, so it, it makes you think he's going to be back in the ring, and they fire him. So that was a dick move on their part. The Iconics, Billy Kay ended up winning, I think, her fall in that tag turmoil. 
and nothing there to follow up. Peyton Royce, they could have really built on that whole Raw Talk promo and had her challenge for the title. They didn't do that. Kalisto, I haven't seen in so long on TV. Bo Dallas, I didn't even think he was still employed. Uh, he was there, though. Tucker Knight, poor guy. I don't know what he's going to do. Chelsea Green, <laughs> that's a, another surprise. I thought when she came back, like they probably had high hopes for her. So in terms of like long-term, that's probably the biggest surprise. And then Mickey James, like she was on commentary, but... I agree, like, this is someone they're probably going to get rid of anyways. She'll probably go to, like, NWA, be a better fit there. So, I think Joe and the Iconics, I'm with you on that. That's one where you're looking at, like, you have a need on your roster that they fill, and you just let them go. So, that's a little weird. Remember when they they first put Joe on commentary? And at first, we're like, oh, this is bullshit. He should be in the ring. The guy's a killer. And then, like, a couple weeks later, we're like, I feel like I can listen to this guy for the rest of my life. She's just a natural born commentator and I was getting used to it. And then they fucking do this. I think the one thing that, that surprised me the most was how versatile a guy like Samoa Joe is. Uh, I, I, I was, I think, I don't know if I was watching or reading, it was an article and Booker T talked about him getting released and saying, you know, me and him are very similar in, in the, in regards to WWE, you know, when you're injured or when, you know, something's going on, you're not clear to compete. There's not a lot of guys that can, you know, be a jack of all trades. And that's what Samoa Joe is. You know, if this guy, I guarantee you, if they told him to be a ref, he would go in and be a ref. So, you know, a, a ref, an announcer, the you know, anything, this guy was there. And uh, it's, this guy's been around in the, in the wrestling world for 20 plus years as well. So this is a well grizzled veteran in Samoa Joe. Look at that smile there. You got to love it. Just looking back at his tenure in WWE, I, I really want to say that it's not on the level of AJ Styles, but it's right under it. This guy came in immediately NXT champion, putting on classics with Shinsuke and then coming up to the main roster. And just like guys, like you said, being that killer, he even had that that match against uh, Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fury. That's That was a cool name. So he had that match with him. He also faced him at SummerSlam in that Unreal Fatal 4-Way match. Um, I love what they did with Samoa Joe, man, honestly. They're, you look back at a lot of these guys' runs, very disappointing. Like Tucker, very underwhelming. Guys like Callisto as well even had their moments. You know, he was the U.S. champion. He took down Alberto Del Rio, uh, Lucha House Party. You know, he's been relatively around for, I want to say, six, seven years. And then you look at what Samoa Joe has done in a very, very short period of time. It's just elite. Everything he did was elite in TNA. Everything he did just around the world is elite. So seeing a guy like Samoa Joe kind of just get released kind of out of nowhere was kind of like, oh, wow, really? Like you really didn't have any plans for this guy at all, not even to announce. So my biggest takeaway from Samoa Joe getting released is I know you guys are probably going to laugh when I say this, but watch out for CM Punk in the next couple months because this guy has said that he wants to come back. Uh, Samoa Joe is a really close friend of his. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we potentially see a CM Punk for Samoa Joe match, maybe in a promotion like AEW or TNA or somewhere else. But yeah, the Samoa Joe signing guys, that really, really shocked me. I'm kind of pissed off still because first thing I think of, Pinello knows Wendy. The very first <laughs> thing I think of that, that feud with AJ was elite. It was awesome. So whatever whatever Samoa Joe does, you know, moving forward, his journey is just going to be awesome because he is just that elite competitor and that veteran in this industry. That Wendy thing, that was jokes. <laughs> <laughs>
with that feud though, Punk and Joe, I think you're shooting for the fucking stars there. It's possible. But, um, it can happen. That, that's what I think of too. All the stuff with AJ. It was one of those feuds where you're like, I can't believe it's happening in WWE because you look at what these two did when they were in TNA in the mid 2000s. They just create magic anywhere they went. And then we're seeing them in their fucking early to mid 40s feuding for the WWE title. And we're just like, this is actually crazy. And they're both still at the top of their game. So that five, six month reign, him and AJ, that's probably my highlight from Joe's career. Joe's career too. Like when you think about it, like I remember at that SummerSlam media day thing, I don't even think he was on the card. And uh, like he was still... The same enthusiasm, like got a chance to meet the guy, nice guy, talking about like being a heel. And it's a head scratcher that a guy like that who has that kind of uh, knowledge of just how to work a crowd. And he was talking about how some guys don't like being booed, even though they're a heel and they try to be cheered and they don't like it when crowds maybe boo them a little bit and it rubs them the wrong way. Then he even like talked about going to NXT. Like this is a guy who should not have been in NXT to begin with. He was a main event guy. Drew like two million viewers a week with Kurt Angle and TNA. And then he goes and uh, checks his ego at the door and goes down in developmental basically. So for what he did, he was the only he was the first guy to do that. AJ never did that when they first offered him that deal and turned it down and went to Japan. Joe did that. So I think that's a little bit of a slap in the face that they say he was the first guy to check his ego at the door and go to developmental and they repay him by saying, you know what, we don't need you anymore. And I think the whole thing about not being cleared is bullshit. Like I think AEW, as soon as he goes there, oh yeah, you can wrestle. Okay, you're cleared. Just like Sting. <laughs> like, how many times have we heard Sting was not cleared to compete? Edge was not cleared to compete for the longest time, and then AEW offered him a deal, and then Vince McMahon's like, oh, wait, what? Uh, we just saw a test come up now. You're cleared to compete. Miracle. So I wouldn't be uh, holding too much stock in WWE's uh, cleared to compete policy right now. I just feel like you look at what WWE has done over the years with the with these injured stars, it's kind of come back, and for the time being, it's bit them in the ass. But time and time again, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's luck or whatever, but guys like Edge and Daniel Bryan, you know, going through that where they can't really compete for X amount of years, and all of a sudden, they burn their bridges, they come back, and they're better than ever. So I don't know if this is going to be the same with Samoa Joe with this concussion. I don't know if – Maybe they're saying they said to him after he got released, like, hey, man, like if if anything, you know, if you can come back, maybe we can have you back in a year, a year and a half, whatever the case may be. Maybe Samoa Joe was uh, fed up not wrestling in front of no fans. Um, I know some wrestlers, they I mean, not a lot of them, because he's the type of guy, like you said, to check his ego at the door. But a lot of guys like Brock, a couple other guys, they don't like wrestling when there's nobody there. So. Um, I can't wait. The, my biggest thing with this whole thing with Samoa Joe is I can't wait to see where he goes. Kind of like when Rusev got released, I knew I, we knew right away he was going to AEW, obviously. But you just you just think of you know certain dream matches that he could have. So if he were to go to AEW, can you just imagine right away you have Samoa Joe face the cleaner? Like these matches, like these these are unreal. This is unreal type of stuff. It's unpredictable. Um, it is a business, like we all say, but. I don't know, Alino. I feel like with Samoa Joe and that concussion, the age he's at, I don't know if I'd say it's bullshit. It's just sometimes I feel like WWE, they take the too cautious approach and it bites them in the ass in terms of that. So 
I don't know if they're being too cautious with Joe or or whatnot, but I just hope Samoa Joe, um, once available, he's he's fully healthy and he can continue to do what he does best, and that's put on a show for the fans. Our Christian was uh, concussed too. That's another guy. He's uh, he's cleared Wrestling Weekly. <laughs> uh, Mick Foley, remember all the concussions he had? He went to TNA, had like 50,000 matches where he went through a chair, table, and just all over the place. Cage. Uh, let's see who else was a uh, career ender right there. RVD. Holy shit. <laughs> so uh, I-, I think this is a way for Joe. You know what? He's going to go to AEW or back to Impact, be a- the main event guy. And uh, WWE will probably call him when his contract there is up for one more run. Probably back on commentary. So all in all, though, for Joe, business decision now. Go get the bag. Get that money because he's a star. Another, another like Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, these two, they've been together for a while since coming up. But I know Billy Kay, I guess she doesn't have as much stardom as Peyton Royce as a single star. But can you see... AEW, you know, landing both of them kind of like what they did with the revival, or can you see maybe both of them going to different promotions? I can see them going as a package deal, just like how they got released. This is a weird one too, though, just because um, like Peyton Royce faced Asuka like not even a month ago for the Raw Women's title, and now she's on this list. <laughs> they have been misusing her basically since they broke up, which to this day I don't think anyone knows why. But uh, I've enjoyed what Billy Kay's been doing. It's actually been so joke. She just walks around with her fucking resume, and all of her backstage skits are hilarious. She's just trying to insert herself into anything she can. I thought that's been so funny the last little while. Kind of wanted to see, like, where she'd end up, and uh, she ends up on this list for some reason. So I think wherever they go, they'll go together. But, yeah, solid potential in the both of them. They can do whatever they want. No, it'll probably be a package. I can see actually like Billy Kay would be like a good manager for Peyton Royce. Like she doesn't have to wrestle maybe once in a while, but like I think they have something there. If she were to be like her hype woman type of thing and then go around and give resumes on how good Peyton Royce is. Maybe like go and say, This is why Peyton Royce should get a shot at the woman's title in AEW or Impact or wherever they go and maybe play off that and then help build up Peyton Royce even more as a single star, but like even looking at other guys on this list, like Bo Dallas, this is a guy in FCW. He was highly touted, blue money. tripper. Yeah, he was money. main event caliber. <laughs> like he comes up and didn't really end well, I guess we'll say. But where do you guys see him going? Oh man, he's going. Like, uh, he's going to AEW, man. <laughs> I'll say impact just to switch it up, but I feel like Bo would be a guy. <laughs> He's just going to take a fucking year off, maybe. <laughs> and then, you know, get back into it. But he really, like, he went backwards. Like, he started off hot, and he came up with all the potential, and they didn't do shit with him. And then he was he was in the fucking social outcast, and then he was doing nothing for a year. And then they brought him back with the B team, and then he was doing nothing again. I'm like, this guy has been all over the place. His success came a little too early. I think the guy, he might be like 30 years old now. He's been around. He, he came in so young at the time. And they really fucked that one up. So for Bo Dallas, want to see him in Impact Wrestling? 
Yeah, I just think of I th- the first thing I think of with Bo Dallas was his feud with Wade Bear when he came up and he went in the Rumble and he eliminated him and everyone's <laughs> like, who the hell is Bo Dallas? And then we look back at his NXT resume and it's also pretty solid. So <laughs> if anything, if you really wanted to be a smart ass, you could really say that Wade Barrett's release really messed up Bo Dallas. <laughs> like his long-term <laughs> yeah. plans, because I feel like they had Bo versus Wade Barrett for like a a meaningful match and that never really ended up happening. Um, but in terms of uh, what could have been with Bo Dallas, I feel like they really like, this is a weird time they could have released them because there have been link. There've been rumors with him and the fiend, like he could help him out and you know, he's Bray's brother and all that stuff. So um, it's really bad timing when you think of creatively for the product, but Bo Dallas, man, he deserves it. He hasn't been doing much. Um, for the most part of his career, he's been looked at as a nothing better than a jobber. I remember when he was with the B team and, you know, they were the tag team champions and the fans were behind them. That was absolutely awesome. Kind of reminded me of when Heath Slater and Rhino were the tag champs. But other than that, um, I still think Bo Dallas has a ton of potential. I think he could potentially do what a guy like, um, uh, what's his name? Like what Ty Dillinger started doing in AEW, if you really wanted to switch the character Uh, like a complete switch with Bo Dallas. I could see him working that out. But for me, like when I think of the guys that have gone released, just looking at like, I'm really concerned for Tucker Knight because I have no idea from a standpoint of being a singles competitor. I really don't know what he can bring. I know Otis was more the entertainment type guy. You know, he would do the, the, the dance moves and he would do, uh, the worm and all that. But in terms of Tucker, I know that WWE, they wanted to do something with him because they turned him on Otis and then that kind of just fell flat. So I really hope Tucker can start maybe getting some momentum in his career because he's still relatively young. But out of these two in Peyton Royce and Chelsea Green, I really think AEW has to sign both of those 100%. Just when you look at the women's division in AEW, it's still kind of getting its traction it's starting to get going now with Britt Baker now being healthy and cutting those unreal promos and I just I think if you get Chelsea Green and Peyton Royce regardless your division's in a better state so if I'm AEW I'm going out and getting Chelsea Green who unfortunately for whatever reason she only had one match I think it was in November and then wasn't really seen again so if I'm if I'm AEW I'm circling Peyton Royce and Chelsea Green yeah, if I had to put money on one of these guys going somewhere, it would be Chelsea Green to AEW, and you know exactly why. <laughs> I think actually Impact with uh, Matt Cardona over there. Uh, oh, is that where he is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck, never mind Impact. <laughs> but like, even Kalisto is a guy, like, I don't think he's going to have trouble finding work. Like, you look at the cruiserweights or X-Division Impact, I think that's a guy that they're circling. As soon as he was released, I think they were already sending a contract offer his way. Uh, Like, I agree with uh, Tucker. Like, I don't know where he's going to go. Like, Ring of Honor, like, I don't know. It seems like he would just be another guy there. He needs, like, a whole repackage. I don't know what he is as a singles guy. Like, Mickey James is obviously probably going to NWA because of Nick Aldis. So, like, there's not too many off the board here that you can say, like, I know what this guy's going to bring, and uh, I think he's going to find the most trouble out of all of them. 
Yeah, and that's puzzling just based off what you've seen from them the last two, three years. Uh, they were rolling as heavy machine or uh, yeah, as heavy machinery for the longest time and stakes and weights, baby. You know, that was their thing. And then all of a sudden, we got to give Otis the, the money in the bank briefcase and we're going to just kind of put you aside. And I did like, I liked the whole storyline when you looked at it from, you know, Sonya and Mandy and Otis and all that, but it kind of just fell flat. And Tucker's just there looking like an idiot, not really doing anything. So, if, like, on one side of the spectrum, it's very unfortunate for him. But on the other side, if you look at it as a – like, this is a huge opportunity. Just kind of like a guy like um, – what was his name? He he had that losing streak, Kurt Hawkins. When he got released, he kind of looked at it as a blessing. So if, if Tucker can take that approach, repackage himself, come back, maybe lose a couple pounds, get a little more shredded – Maybe we'll see a different Tucker Knight uh, in the free agent market. But for now, I agree. I think out of all these guys, I think Tucker, it, he's the biggest uh, hes the biggest question mark for me. Where do you see Mojo going? I don't think he's, I don't think he's going anywhere, honestly. I don't know if he's going to continue wrestling. I'm not going to lie. When you have those guys that are from the football field and then they transition over to wrestling, once you get released from your wrestling company, it's back to something else. So we'll see him on a podcast one day. I just feel like he'll take the, he'll take the same route that, that Ryback did. He'll just stick to weights, oh, yeah. make, making those videos and... And yeah, doing the podcast. That's I think that's I think what Mojo's gonna do. Maybe make an NFL podcast. Maybe he can link up with Gronk there or Pat McAfee that we've seen uh, now be a part of SmackDown for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I don't see Mojo really getting any calls out of out of all these people here. Maybe that's why he's not on this picture. I don't know. Could be the impact. That's my backup choice. And then <laughs> tag team with Zach Ryder and Chelsea Green. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> or maybe go to AEW and be like a football gimmick. It'll be the Jacksonville Jaguar or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> they would definitely put him in that uniform, hundred <laughs> um, percent. What do you can you guys see? Callisto maybe aligning with Pentagon. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing! Actually, can you imagine that? That'd be awesome. Ray Phoenix. They kick Pac out the group. The Dark Luchador group. Hey, maybe maybe we'll. Uh... Maybe remember that comment. You never know. Maybe Callisto can join them. <laughs> I'll pull an Alino here on this pod. I'll say Callisto joins them. Oh, that'd be good. And who's the other guy that they released? I, I honestly, I forgot his name. Uh, he was with uh, Buddy Murphy. Yeah, okay. It was Wesley Blake. I know it was Blake. I just his first name. I don't want to say. <laughs> I was about to say Steve for some reason, but yeah, good thing. So it was Wesley Blake. I see him going to impact. I see that a guy like he could be a guy there, another tag team guy, maybe Eric Young when he comes back, probably join with him. So is another one of those guys. But Tucker, yeah, like poor guy. I don't know what he's gonna do. Yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that have options, and <laughs> Mojo and Tucker, I think, are the guys. That, like if I'm a re- if I'm a man, like if I'm running a wrestling promotion, I look at the two and I'm like, yeah. You know, we could use a guy like you, but I really don't know what to put, where to put you. Whereas you see guys like Bo Dallas, they've been in tag teams. They've had a little bit of that single spotlight. Tucker did, but 
it was a flat out fail. It didn't really work out. Uh, Callisto as well. Samoa Joe. So yeah, like all these guys that we've and and ladies that we've talked about, not only have they been great as a tag team, but they've either if they haven't been in a tag team, they've elevated themselves as a proven singles competitor. Whereas you look at Mojo, he had a little bit of that, but it never really panned out. Same with Tucker. So even though Tucker had success as a tag team, now you're going over to another promotion that doesn't have an Otis and you have to put him with someone else. It's going to be very tricky. So I, I agree there. You know what's you crazy? Mojo was put in the... No, go ahead. No, no, you, know, you know what's crazy? What I just saw here on Wikipedia? Bo oh. Dallas is fucking 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to be 31 next month. That's like not even... He's already had basically a full career, and some guys now just get started to get going at 31. So, like, holy shit. This guy's career really hasn't even started. Yeah, man. He, he faced Wade Barrett or eliminated Wade Barrett at like 22, 23 years old in, in the Royal Rumble. And that was like, okay, this guy has to be the future if he's going to do something like that, where Wade Barrett is like a he's a dark horse to win this. And then you see this guy throw him out and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess this guy's going to be something kind of like what I thought of with Damian Priest in this last rumble. When I looked at what Bo Dallas did all those years ago and what Damian Priest did uh, in this rumble, I was like, oh yeah, they have, uh, they have something for this guy, but unfortunately it never really panned out with Bo. So yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that he's only 30 years old, but yeah, kind of like with, with Cody Rhodes came in very, very young. Pays when you got family there. Got the door kicked in for him. You got to love it. But, uh, yeah, that was the 2012 Rumble. I had Barrett winning that, actually. And when this little fucking guy came out, he was fucking 190 pounds, soaking wet hair, and he eliminated weight. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Who is this guy? So uh, that was not a fun day for me, Chris. Uh, it is what it is, man. The way you guys feel, though, about uh, about Tucker is kind of how I feel about Wesley Blake. Like, I knew him in the tag team when he was in NXT with Buddy Murphy and Alexa Bliss. And then he got lost for fucking 20 years. And then he was with the Forgotten Sons for a brief amount of time. I, I don't – like, he's good in the ring and he's intense. I don't know a whole lot about him. With Tucker, like, he's a smooth-talking guy. He's got long, luscious hair. The guy can move in the ring. He's a pretty presentable guy. Like, I see him on camera, and I'm entertained. I just think if they, if they repackaged him, or if he, if he does something to his character, I think he could be hot stuff. But uh, with Wesley Blake, not a fucking clue. Yeah, well, that's it for this week's episode. We talked a lot. We talked about the Leafs, their struggles. We talked about all these NBA injuries that have been happening because of, you know, the very – short break that they had in the off season. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. Who knows? And then, of course, we talk about the yearly WWE releases that Vince McMahon unfortunately has to do. And I'm safe to say that there are some guys here that they have no business being released. So with that being said, this is In The Zone, episode 127. Stay tuned. Make sure to listen to us on all our socials on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Pod, Google Pod, Anchor, etc. So make sure you click that subscribe button and to listen to more of our content, just go to all those down below.